Cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Cult Podcast. Tonight, as far as I'm concerned, one of the greatest filmmakers who has ever lived. From Bad Lieutenant to Pasolini, the man has done it all. I'm honored to introduce Abel Ferrara. Abel, how are things? Yeah, man, you know, hanging in there, bro. Thanks for that. Uh, (laughs) I don't know how to move up that, but... We're good. You know, I'm good. I'm healthy. I'm alive. We're working. Um, you know, everybody knows what's going on. So, well, are you happy that you got out of America when you did? Um, when did I get out? I mean, um, yeah, I don't feel like I'm out of America. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm an American citizen. I'm living here, you know, last six years, I've been living pretty much here. But since, like, um, you know, turn of the century, since, like, uh, you know, pretty for all of, like, the, the 2000s, we started, you know, filming here, like, kind of 50-50. So I was, like, working in Italy and um, New York. And then, um, and then after I met Christina and had the baby, then I stayed. So I've been here. But I've been back. You know, we shot The Projectionist. Um, you know, I'm back in New York. Well, do you think that you maybe should have left a little bit sooner just because of the fi- the whole financing thing to begin with? It seems like every single time that you try to find financing outside of America, you're doing a lot better at it. Why do you think that that is? No, yeah, well, you know, the kind of films we make dictate where you're going to find the money, you know? So, you know, the way we make them, you know, I mean, director with final cut now, is kind of, um, that's not, you know, that's not an American way of making movies. <clears throat> you know, but it was in the 90s. So, you know, during the 90s in New York, it was there, it was happening. And it kind of fell apart <clears throat> in the late 90s, you know. Our lives got a little confused and carried away a little bit there. Then, um, you know, it kind of came to a natural conclusion with the uh, 9-11, you know. Not so much the event, you know, the event kind of really pulled New York City together. It was really, you know, other than, you know, the tragedy of all the people and the friends that got killed that day, um, you know, it was, it was a real galvanizing moment in New York, and it was cool. It was after that that it became a land grab and, a, you know, became like an international thieves hideaway you know, you know, it became a different city, a very expensive city. You know, the more expensive a city is, the more difficult it is to, you know, do the kind of thing we do. You know? Well, it could be said that you pretty much captured New York, unlike any other filmmaker ever has. Do you think that that's New York at its finest? And do you think that New York will ever be back to this New York that... You've captured. I think it's back now, man. I hear it's a fucking, uh, you know, war zone now. So, you know, New York is constantly changing, you know, and it's, you know, I mean, it's like, what do they say? Nine million stories in the naked city. I mean, it's like 90 billion. So, you know, I mean, there's, there's so many different, I mean, New York is such a, it's infinite in terms of, you know, places, stories, wherever to do films in. You know, so, um, and I'm sure right now, man, is a whole, you know, that was a rude awakening. And um, who knows what's the, you know, what the future of 
of any place, never mind New York. How long did you have the projectionist in mind before you actually started making that film? It came was a spur of the moment kind of thing because I met Nick and um, a producer of ours, Christos Constantopoulos, is um, you know he's a producer. He's done the produce Jarmish's stuff, different people, very interesting, you know, beautiful guy, you know, and um, you know he lives in Greece, so we were with him and I met Nick and because he, he's from Cyprus, but he, you know, he's really New York, New York. And, um, he came, he, well, you, did you see the movie? I did. I thought it was fucking amazing. Yeah. You told such a beautiful story. I, I thought it was amazing. All right. Thanks. Um, basically, you know, I met Nick and it was like, wow, this is an interesting guy, you know? And, uh, we had a lot of common, you know, you know, there was you know, naturally, we, you know, he came up, through the film business in New York, you know, in the same years that we did, you know. And he was one of these guys that had that kind of memory that he just remembered every, you know, people, places, films, things, you know, he's in, he's deep in, and he still is, you know. He's running those businesses now, so he's he's on the fucking front line of, um, you know, selling tickets and, and exhibiting movies and in, in theaters, you know. So, um, you know, I thought it was cool that we were just going to, jump on it and get into it. I didn't realize the other whole other side of, you know, of his, um, you know, I mean, that's how we approach documentaries. We, we, we got a feeling about something and then our discovery of what that something is about and what that feeling is, is really the movies. You have a brand new documentary coming out. This I haven't seen. I don't really know how much it's played yet, but sport and life. And that's about the, the promotion and stuff on Siberia. Correct. Well, it's about the pandemic too, you know. So it's on. It's on IndieWire, man. If anybody wants to see it, you can oh, see is it. it? It's up, yeah, it's up on IndieWire, so you can check it out. It started off to be about the um, us taking Siberia to Berlin, and then in the minute, the minute we got back from Berlin, like uh, you know, the fucking um, you know, the hammer dropped, and it was like, wow, you know, what I mean. It was a miracle because we were like February 24th. We're like in a theater full of people kissing and hugging and, you know, we're partying up a storm because, you know, we'd spent a long time putting that film together. You know, we were in competition and band came and, we, you know, we, it was like a celebration of like a lot of hard work on that flick. And, um, and it was a celebratory movie until we got back to Rome and then it became about, well, you got to see it. It's on IndieWire. You can check it out. Well, I have seen Siberia, and that was you, you're kind of taking the elements that you were doing with uh, with Tommaso, and even beforehand with a little bit in in Pasolini kind of terms with with Willem, but you kind of brought it to a whole new level. Did you do a lot of work with him beforehand on this one, or was this just kind of you two know how to work with each other so well at this point? you just hand him a script and he pretty much gets what you want him to get from it from the get-go. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, we've done like seven films together. So, but this one took a long time to put together. You know, Tommaso was one of these ideas where, you know, it was almost made because I didn't, I, not that I gave up hope on Siberia. I just knew that this was, a you know, Siberia, you know, when you're financing $5 million, it, that's like you got to give yourself, you know, that's a time consuming, you know, event. So, 
you know, we were we were still trying to put it together. And then I said, let me shoot Tommaso. So Tommaso is something like that. It's an idea. We wrap it. We talk it. We talk him through it. But like he's shooting, you know, he works a lot. So he just came back. And the day he came back to Rome, we're shooting Tommaso. He did. Siberia was not like that. Siberia, we were... He was involved very much in the, in the, the entire process of the script. And, um, you know, so much of it has to do with, um, you know, his memories and, um, you know, his relationships. So, you know, we, you know, we work it out. I mean, you know, we keep it always open-ended. You know, we, we don't want to be too locked in. You know, it's a fine balance. You, you know, you got to know what you're doing at the same time. You can't know so much of what you're doing that you don't allow yourself to do something better. Yeah. Well, and then we have 2014, which if anybody didn't think that you were one of the most important filmmakers working, you released Welcome to New York and Pasolini in the same year, two of which I think are your best films. Was that a really heavy workload for you making those two films back to back or did they just happen to come out around the same time and you'd been working on both of them for a really long period of time beforehand? Yeah. Well, you know, again, these are films that, you know, movies like, um, you know, 444 Tommaso and then especially the documentaries, they're made at one level of financing under a million dollars. So, you know, it's not, you either have the bread or you don't, you know, so, and you kind of, much more immediate. Films like Pasolini, Welcome to New York, Siberia, you got to put them together, man. You know, you got to put them together. And um, we're working on Welcome to New York. At the same time, we're working on Pasolini. And then, and that's when I, I got sober. So it was like, at the point that we had those two movies not happening, going to happen. I kind of like, um, you know, I spent like four months in, a, in rehab to get sober. And, and so when I came out, it was, oh, yeah, all right. I mean, I, I had in my mind, I, I, I could care less if I ever made another, another film. Not, not that I made that conscious decision, but I was just focused on getting, you know, healthy. So when I came back, you know, back to the world um, while I was gone, which is ironic, you know, this usually happened. While I wasn't even anywhere near, these films came together. You know, the producers were putting it together without, you know, I always thought that I, you know, without me, nothing would happen, but actually without me, it happened even better. But but anyway, so I came back to the plate and um, we had both those pictures kind of together. You know, welcome to New York. So I went back to New York to do that film. And, um, you know, it was just, you know, it was like, yeah, one after another. And But they were both, you know, both took two couple of years. Pasolini maybe even more to put together. But it just happened that one came out, you know, one after another. But then Pasolini didn't come out in the States till five years later, so... And then it looked like all my films came out at the same time that I made them all at once. But it, it's not like that, you know? It's like we, um, you know, we're always working on something. You know, when they come out, who knows? When they get financed, who knows? You know? 
Well, when was the first time that you ever saw a Pasolini film? Like, how old were you? I, I, I was the first fucking one I saw. Um, the first one I saw was the Decameron. I guess that was like, I don't know, 71? When was it? When was the Decameron? 73? 71, probably, yeah. Yeah, I think like, it was 71, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it was. we were like, you know, um, I was in university, we were really into the foreign movies and um but those films were playing and this is where like nick comes in you know what i mean like nick was nick was around at this point you dig as a kid you know he's younger than me but he was a kid showing these movies we would go to like what he calls the mecca of uh you know 59th and third you know what bloomingdale's is that's where all the theaters were and they were playing fine art they were playing the Hollywood movies, but the Hollywood movies were art movies, you know, Clockwork Orange, you know, I mean, we talk about it in the projections, you know, you know, and hardcore pornography was playing like right there. So all these theaters were all, you know, when everybody's coming, standing on line, it's a whole deal. There was nowhere else to see a movie, but in a movie theater, you know, it was like, um, it was cool, bro. And um, we saw, I saw, yeah, I remember seeing the camera and that was kind of mind blowing. Then we went, you know, you know, we were like, you know, we were like Jesuits. Or, you know, you know, I don't know how to explain it. You know, we were like, we were, if it became, we were so focused on those kind of movies at that time. After you saw Decameron, did you realize this was a filmmaker, no matter what gets released, this is somebody that I need to keep an eye on and, and see every single thing that yeah, well, he does if how, it comes? That's how, we always, that's how we always dealt it. You know what I'm saying? You know, we were like only into the Rolling Stones. You know what I'm saying? So it would be just the Rolling Stones. It would be only into like, say, a handful of... Yeah, it was like the tour, you know, deal. You know, we were into Kubrick. It was just all Kubrick, you know, but, but you were you know, it wasn't so easy to see these films, you know, you had like the, um, you know, I mean, there was the, the repertory, you know, the Thalia, there was the one downtown, the St. Mark's and, um, you know, at the universities would, you know, we would drive all over the place and go to the schools when, you know, our friends would say, you know, I could tone. But I remember a movie like Akatone. I remember a friend of mine named Harry. He was, um, the film was playing, I forget, in Binghamton. We didn't even know if it was playing in Binghamton. And this kid just went, and it was a fucking snowstorm, bro. And he just hitchhiked to Binghamton, you know, with no money and a bag of reefer in his pocket. And he went to see Akatone, you know, and naturally got there late at the school, somehow found the, the kid who projected it, went to his house, gave him a couple of joints. The kid took him back to the fucking, you know, unlocked the fucking, you know, part of film school with the, with the movie theater. And he saw Akatone. And then he came back and acted it out for us, you know? And he basically acted out Akatone. And... Um, and, and, you know, to this day, sometimes I don't know if I remember the movie or I remember my bro acting the movie out for us. You know what I mean? But that's the kind of, that's how, you know, we were, we were crazy about the movies and especially about him, yeah. 
the what? guys we liked and the guys we didn't like, we hated, you know, and so we didn't watch them, you know, it was all that kind of shit. And then you did some, some television in the nineties as well. How hard was it for you to get in, in, well, in the late eighties, I should say, how hard was it for you to get into the, into the television mind frame or did you approach those in the exact same way that you approach a film? I approach, you know, when I direct, I just come to just, you know, do the best I could do, you know? And um, in situations like that, like in my advice, you know, there's one guy directing in the morning and then you come in the afternoon, you know? I mean, but that kind of shit was just kind of dropped in our lap, you know? I mean, it wasn't anything we searched out or anything we knew how to do, you know? I mean, I just kind of, um, it was just one of these pure lucky, I mean, it was lucky because there was money involved at a time when we were very desperate, you know, to stay alive. So, you know, and then with Miami Vice, I mean, it is what it is, but, you know, Michael, man, was, I, I went there in the very beginning of that. So he was still kind of um, figuring it out and designing it at the same time he was doing Manhunter, I think he was doing it. Maybe man, maybe not Manhunter, whatever, you know, and, 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 you know, he was making the same kind of flicks we were making, but he, he was... You know, in terms of design and his 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 ability to um, um, express, you know, express these kind of ideas, you know, of color and 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 and, and um, you know, uh, you know, black is black and blue is blue, and you don't shoot brown, and the streets are wet, and Bob, you, you know what I mean? He he, he had a and a mathematical process kind of thing. So, you know, I mean, it was, you always learn when you're working, you know? So that's what, I, you know, and I, I brought, you know, I did what I could do. Well, I want to take you way back to the film school days because a lot of filmmakers like to say everything that they learned in film school, as soon as I learned it, I threw it away. Do you feel like you're the exact same way? Or what do you feel like you learned the most from your time at film school? Well, you know, I learned that I should have learned more, you know? I mean, I was in a position where I was around a lot of fucking talented people and a lot of smart, you know, and, and a lot of guys who could really give me a lot and, and, and wanted to give me a lot. And I just was like, you know, when you're 19, 20, and I, I would have been making films since I'm 16, so I had the fucking attitude, like, no one's going to teach me anything. I mean, this is at 19 I have this attitude, you know what I'm saying? And I'm shooting stuff, and I'm making my own thing, and, you know, we're all rebels without a cause, so we have to position ourselves as anti, um, you know, professor and anti, you know, whatever, anti-everything, you know? And, um, but, you know, the film school experience, you know, for me, it was a long time because back then too, there was Vietnam. So I had no choice but to stay in school, you know, or I would have been, you know, drafted. So, um, you know, and, and also there was nowhere else to get equipment. I mean, like we weren't, we had no concept of how to finance or put anything together outside of the university. The university had the equipment. And we didn't want to be there, but we wanted the equipment and we wanted to shoot, you know? It, I mean, it was a place where I could work, you know? I could do whatever the fuck I wanted. I didn't have to 
I'm not delivering movies to sell tickets. I'm not delivering movies that have any anything but what we, you know, we thought we wanted to make and do. So it, it's a pretty, you know, I mean, what did I learn between 19 and 24? I learned a lot. Only I could have learned a lot fucking more if I wasn't such a fucking knucklehead. Well, did you realize as soon as you got out that that maybe the easiest route to take would be in the in the porn industry and the horror industry, and that's why you did Nine Lives of Wet Pussy and Driller Killer, or did well, this just yeah, kind of fall li- into place? Li- no, it didn't fall into place. I mean, we made a conscious choice to do it. You know, you're gonna make a porno film. I mean, that's that's you know, we weren't brought up in that. You know, we're brought up in a normal suburban world. You know. My mother and father and sisters and, you know, so it's a kind of radical deal to do something like Nine Lives. But, you know, again, we wanted the equipment. Like, you know, we wanted a drug. You know, we wanted that 35 millimeter. We wanted the, the Nagra. We wanted the mics. We wanted to shoot. And if we had to shoot, you know, people fucking each other to fucking... You know, well, fine. You know, we told ourselves, hey, he's shooting Salo. They're shooting, you know, all those European films were, they weren't hardcore, but they, you know, sex was, you know, it was happening back then, you know. And, um, you know, you convince yourself to get the fucking equipment and to shoot. And that was like, you know, the only game in town at that point. I mean, because we were so, I mean, if I could talk to that, you know, the 25-year-old me, I would say, you know, hold off, dude. You know, if it's in the cards, it's in the cards. But, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I wanted to, you know, we, we didn't have the patience. We just took it on, you know, and so we did it. Well, and then many years later after Driller Killer, you came back to the horror genre with Body Snatchers. Were you a little hesitant to come back to the horror genre or were you at that point just just ready because you had been doing these crime films in New York for a while at that point? Yeah, Body Snatchers was another one of these crazy gigs where it was a lot. It was Warner Brothers. It was a lot of money. It was a big budget. You know, um, it was you know at that time I, I you know I, I was married. I had two kids. You know, it's one of those kind of deals. And you know, so we kind of stepped into the fucking lion's den with these guys and, but, you know, I saw it, I, you know, I mean, I, I thought the, the, the script that they gave us was like horrible. And then um, I saw the two films, I knew the film, you know, I mean, I knew both of them, but I mean, I kind of looked at them again. The Siegel film is, um, that's an interesting film. I mean, they recut it on him and they fucked up his soundtrack, but you know, you get the, the point. It's a cool film. And then you start realizing there's something behind it. Then I read the original Jack Finney piece. And it was like when I did New, New Rose Hotel, I mean, the Jack Finney short story was so powerful, so incredible. And, you know, they were giving us like, yeah, come on, do it. Nikki would write it. And, you know, we went in there. But, you know, you work in a studio situation. I mean, I'm proud of the film. I, we stand behind the film, but it was. That was the last film I did without Final Cut. And I'd never do that again, you know. But but we, we managed somehow to, I don't know, you know. I mean, because of Tony Redmond, the editor, had he could handle them. Nicky was cool with people. I was, you know, out of my mind. I couldn't handle these guys at all. 
if you ever went back to body snatchers, how much is on the cutting room floor? Like, is there like another hour if you did have a director's no, cut? No, no, it's just, no. The, the director's cut would have been the same. Only we, we, you know, we were doing very stylized shots. So I was working with Boyan Vizelli, who did King of New York, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had a lot of money, man. You know, we had like 20 million bucks and we were shooting in Alabama where 20 million was like having 60 million. You dig? So we're shooting, I mean, real scope. Not this make-believe scope these guys use. We were using scope lenses. This was, this was, you know, I mean, the crew was like 30, 40 guys. You want to shoot real cinema scope at night. I mean, you can't believe what we're doing. And it was a fucking grind, bro. This was like, you know, 18 hours a day, six days a week for like four fucking ever. Okay? And um, that was... But... You know, so, I mean, Dee Dee Allen, who was kind of, she's an Oscar-winning editor, but, uh, you know, she doesn't edit the way I edit. And, you know, we shoot a different way. At the, anyway, whatever. We stand behind a flick. Would, would I have cut it different? Yeah. Not that different. I mean, the, the movie's going to be the movie. Some of the stylistic shots we pulled off, you know, we kind of back, you know, whatever. But, um... You know, and again, I think the movie is because of the original material was just it's just so powerful and just so, you know, it's just Finney is a fucking master, bro. And, um, you know, we had the A-team, you know, Nicky was writing and with me, all, you know, because he would always be directing with me and, you know, Boyan was on it. Tony was cutting, you know, you know, we had our, our A-team with a lot of money, you know, which, which can help, you know. And then we have bef- a little bit before that bad Lieutenant. And I it know was that actually at the same time we shot those films together. That was like, oh, welcome did you? to New York in Pasadena. Yeah. While we were prepping, while we were prepping body snatches, we were shooting bad Lieutenant, but we should be shooting bad Lieutenant like in 15 days. And we certainly won't work in 18 hours a day. I'll tell you that. Well, I, I know that you've said that you wanted that to be a comedy, and that's where Christopher Walken was going to bring this whole different element to that film. Looking- well, I didn't, want it to be, I didn't want it to be a comedy, but Christopher was seeing it in a, from a different kind of ironic perspective than, say, Harvey was, was seeing that character. Well, do, do you or think it was a good choice? Do you think it was a good choice to get Harvey then in, in the long run? Then, then have Christopher. Well, yeah, for, I'm not, I mean, Christopher. I mean, it would have been a, good, a cool film with Chris, and it was a very cool film with Harvey. You know, you know, the upside is we already knew Chris, and so we didn't know Harvey, so we got an introduction to Harvey. But, um, you know, who would you say was the easiest actor that you've ever worked with? The easiest one? No, I mean. Uh, well, in which just, way? Easy. Just, you pretty much could could hand them the script or, or just tell them the littlest of notes and they would pick up on it quicker than anybody. Or would that just be Willem because you have worked with him for so long? You know, you see these people, everybody you work with, whether somebody just worked for a day or whatever, you know? I mean, it's like, it's, it's always the same. And it, it, it's the same if it's, you know... Michael or, or um, DJ, you know, when you're doing Miami Vice or, or whatever it is, you know, you work in or the guys when we did Crime Story with 
um, fuck, what's his name? You know, he died. What's just uh, for what we played? What, what, what was the, the actor from? Um, I was the cop from Chicago. I feel bad. I can't remember his name. All right. Anyway, he was a great actor too. Um, it's you know, in any situation. You, You know, that's my gig. I'm a director. I connect. I got to connect to the actor. And the actor has to connect with me. And we got to find, you know, a, a way to, for him to do or her to be as good as she could be. And, and not be, you know, just to feel free and to feel confident and to feel like, you know, she's being protected and we're there for her and it's happening. And if anything is not, is, is between that, then, you know, it's my job to, 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 to change it, you know, or, and it's the actor's job to help me figure out what it is that's bothering him, you know? So it's not a matter of anything easy or not. It's all easy. It's all cool. It all beats, you know, working in the coal mine or, you know, being in prison. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's like a, it's the work. It's, it's why we do it because it's, 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 it's great. It's sweet. You know, it's, it's cool. So we don't let, we, and if something's not making it cool, we just get to that and find out why and resolve it. You know, and the more, you know, and the more we know each other, the more we can, you know, deal with that. And then, you know, because the relationship's a relationship, sometimes the less you know somebody, the easier it is to work with. You know, just because I worked with Willem for seven years, you know, that's seven years we have, but we got to be on point, you know, that we don't let any resentment of any time or our personal lives interfere or this, that, or the other thing, you know. We got to be, you know, very... um aware of our feelings so we could you know give our best to the movie you know what would you say that your favorite format is to shoot on is it still 35 millimeter or were you always really kind of partial to to a 16 millimeter kind of look or do you like digital now i mean each of the dps i work with have very you know very specific to the look they want you know the palette they want you know, and the guys I, I choose to work with, they know what I do, and I know what they do. And then we we find the look of that film. Right now, you're not shooting film, man. You know, I mean, we tried to Pasolini, the fucking lab went bankrupt halfway through. It's just not, you know, and who knows? It might be uh, the biggest mistake everybody ever made. You know, in the end run, a digital film might not deliver the same unconscious power for punch that when you see negative and you're seeing the shadow of silver, you know what I'm saying? You're seeing something physical and you're seeing the shadow of something physical. You're not seeing zeros and ones, you know, who knows what the change is, but you know, it is what it is, man. So we just, you know, when I work with the, the, the DP, we find you know, and the designer, you know, and we find what what the look of that film is going to be. And the guy is going to use the equipment that he feels he could deliver what he wants to deliver, you know? 
And that's his choice. I mean, I'm not, I don't tell a DP what camera to use. I mean, I wouldn't even think of it, you know? Well, finally, what can we expect from you coming up? I'm, you are working on a film right now, currently, correct? Yeah, we just shot a film called Zeros and Ones, as a matter of fact, with Ethan Hawke. So we're in the middle, we're in the editing room now. And can we expect that by year's end? What year? <laughs> no, we, got, we better make. We better get it. We know we ain't. You know we we're not in the editing room that long, bro. You know, um, we're gonna try and finish it by can at least. Hope you know that's the game plan. Fantastic. Well, Abel, thank you so much for coming on here today. It really means a lot to me. No, thank you, bro. No, thank you. All right, thank you, man. Okay, good luck, guys. Everybody out there, stay safe. All right, love you. Thank you for listening. Honestly, that was some bucket list territory shit for me. So if you don't know Abel, you've never seen an Abel Ferrara film. I I don't know how that's possible, but you should really go check out everything. Very excited to hear about his new film. And I'll put Sporting Life, the link to the IndieWire, in the show notes. So make sure to check that out as well. And this concludes our broadcast day.